in words of welcome, the opportunity uh, to bring forth God's precious word tonight. I always uh, very humbling uh, to be here with you, with all the different men that certainly could be here uh, to bring forth God's word on these particular subjects and certainly do uh, a better job than I could. In that sense, uh, I thank uh, the Lord's servant for giving me the opportunity to be here tonight and to bring forth God's precious word. And as our brother was saying at the start, with all the uh, disruption and traffic, uh, we've been there uh, many, many times in London, even our own street. Uh, sometimes only t- should take us about 12 minutes to get to the house from the church. But when there's traffic or a pothole, as there was the other day, uh, a big hole in the road, uh, it can take over 45 minutes to an hour uh, just to get a f- up a 15-minute uh, road. But we're glad our brother uh, was here tonight. So thank you again for the invitation. If you can turn with me again uh, to the passage that was read, Romans chapter 9, and also uh, Romans chapter 10. Now I know there's different men have different schedules throughout the next uh, year, number of months, and I'll not touch on their um, verses in that sense. I'll try and limit me or my message down to verses really 1 down to verse 3, maybe 4, and then chapter 10, verses 1, down to verse 4 tonight. So uh, that's where we will go uh, with that. But with God's word open, we'll just unite together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father and Eternal God, we thank thee for thy hand upon us already this night. We thank thee for thy goodness and for thy hand upon us. We thank thee for thy blessing already. And Father, we confess without thee we can do nothing. Lord, just give us help. Grant us thy favour, grant us thy blessing, and above all we pray that Christ will be honoured and Christ will be exalted. Lord, does even taught us again this night to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They that love thee shall prosper, and therefore we come, O God, this night, and we pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray, Lord, that will give us help now to expound thy word in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Amen. I do apologise my throat or chest does go a wee bit. I was recovering just a few weeks ago there from uh, something hard that, that hit me. And so it's only recently now I've been trying to get back to it. But So if I do go a wee bit low, uh, do bear uh, with me tonight. But Romans uh, chapter uh, 9 through chapter 11 really opens up a new section in Paul's letter. And as you know, as you study this passage or read other commentaries, this section in Romans chapter 9 right through chapter 11 has often been questioned by many, suggesting that Romans chapter 9 through 11 are only parentheses, meaning that these three chapters are not needed and therefore could be passed over and could be left out. The line of reasoning that people take is that they think at the end of Romans chapter 8, you could take what Paul said there and then go straight to Romans chapter 12 and continue the same line of thought and it would make no difference. And therefore such would claim that Romans chapter 9 through chapter 11 uh, could be dropped or uh, really they don't have anything to do with Paul's major themes. And so they suggest that Paul really wanted to deal with something separate and he just as it were uh, slipped in. And so they claim that Romans chapter 9 through chapter 11 is viewed by Paul really being diverted from his major theme of justification by faith alone 
in Christ alone. And they would say that Paul gets sidetracked discussing Israel, his own kinsmen, the Jews. And then after he gets back to his proper subject, his main subject, back in chapter 12. Now, uh, that may be good men who suggest such, but I do not agree uh, with that reasoning at all. Uh, Since God's word is given by inspiration and the Holy Spirit moved uh, upon men to record the word, and moved upon Paul, then what you have here in Romans chapter 9 through chapter 11 is given by God for our learning and for our instruction. And therefore it's placed where it is because God has placed it there for his own purpose. Paul has been moved, has been guided by the Holy Spirit to record such words. All that Paul will deal in Romans chapter 9 through chapter 11 really flow out of what he's taught from chapters 1 through 8 dealing with the sinner's uh, natural condition, justification, sanctification. And only when Paul's arguments are answered in chapters 9 through 11 can he then go on to chapter 12 and then continue in his epistle. Paul is like that lawyer who argues his case and he writes these words really to put an end Uh, No comeback really or any further arguments. What Paul writes in Romans 9 through 11. It really ends any argument, any debate. And so therefore Paul can go on to chapter 12. And what Paul really deals in chapters 9 through 11. Really is clear in everyone's mind. Paul gave the great statement in Romans chapter 1 verse 17. The gospel. That's the good news is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. However, the Jews, with all their privileges as stated here in Romans chapter 9, verses 4 to 5, and as they are the physical descendants to Abraham, they rejected the gospel of grace. They rejected Christ as Messiah. They trusted in the religious works of men and they opposed the gospel that Paul preached. However, as the gospel is also for the Greek, then the question is asked in Romans 11 verse 1, Hath God cast away his people? And the word cast away means to thrust away from oneself. And of course Paul then gives the answer, God forbid, which means certainly not. May it not be so. And Paul showed himself to be a Jew. One from the tribe of Benjamin. Therefore because God had not cast him away. God had saved him. Therefore God had not cast away his ancient people. God still has a redemptive purpose for Israel. Also is God unrighteous in all his dealings with the Jews? Certainly not. And so Paul answers all these different questions. That come up really in chapters 9 through 11. Regarding the Jew, the restoration, the salvation. And Paul makes this clear. That there's only one way of salvation for the Jew and for the Gentile. There's not one way of salvation for the Jew and another way of salvation or a better way or a different way for the Gentile. Rather Paul shows in Romans chapter 12 verse 10. Or 10 verse 12. 
There is no difference between Jew and the Greek. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Paul is making that point and he shows bringing it together that Jew and Gentile are both lost, lost sinners. There's no difference. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But there's only one saviour that has been provided. And the whole point of Romans is to show that sinners are saved, justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And there's much more that we could make that point. But in Romans chapter 9, verse 1 and 4, and Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Paul, as he begins to write about his own countrymen, he is zealous for the salvation of his own Jewish kinmen, kinsmen, those according to the flesh. It's true that Paul was called to be a minister also, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, the, the heathen nations, that by the preaching of the gospel they would turn from darkness to light. But Paul never lost a burden to reach his own kinsmen. And he longed to see them saved. Because he too, being a Jew nationally, and also of the tribe of Benjamin, Paul was also once a lost sinner. A proud religious Pharisee with a seal of God, but not according to knowledge. He too boasted in his Jewish religious practices, his ceremonies and his self-righteous ways. Paul himself was ignorant of God's righteousness and he too went about to establish his own righteousness. He believed himself to be better than anyone else when it came to the law, when it came to good works, when it came to promoting the religion of the Jews. There was no one who came close to Paul, or of course, as he was known, Saul of Tarsus at that time. He believed if anybody could earn salvation, if anybody could work their way to heaven, if anybody could claim merit with God, then it would have been him. He refused to submit himself on to the righteousness of God. He believed the Jewish religious ways were right, but they were the ways that were leading to eternal death and condemnation. And so everything that Paul writes about the unbelief of his own kinsmen, he can relate it to himself, because that's where he once was, a religious Pharisee, lost in sin and needing saved. He too trusted in the arm of flesh, he too put confidence in the things of the flesh. But once Paul was saved by grace, redeemed by precious blood, his understanding was opened, his will renewed, his heart was opened. He was pardoned by God through faith in Christ alone. And therefore he could pen those great words. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul was now a new creature in Christ. Just with God. Through faith in Christ. Though still a national Jew on earth. Yet he is now and forevermore by grace. A citizen of heaven. And therefore as Paul thinks. Of his own kinsmen. According to the flesh. His fellow Jews. 
He sees them as once where he was, blinded by sin, blinded by man's religion, a prisoner of pride, self-righteous and hypocritical. He said in verse 8, They which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. It breaks his heart because he knows when his unbelieving kinsmen will meet God as judge without the righteousness of Christ, they will perish for eternity. And for that reason, they need the gospel without the works of men. Because a true Jew is not one to do with outward appearance or national identity or circumcision of the flesh. Rather, a true Jew is one inwardly. And the circumcision that is of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is of not of men, but of God. And so all that Paul says is vital. Because Paul is not speaking as a religious man. He's speaking as a redeemed man. He's speaking as a true Jew. A child of faith. A child of promise. One who is redeemed by grace. While he is speaking to his own kinsmen. Yet because of unbelief. They are not saved. And he's concerned about them. He's burdened about their soul. And so as Paul speaks, he does so in Christ and by the witness of the Spirit. And what Paul says, he says with truth. Because he says as a man changed by Christ. His conscience is clear. He presents a gospel truth. His heart's desire for Israel that they might be saved. And so as we think of Paul's desire tonight, notice Paul's distress for the salvation of sinners. There is the expression of Paul's distress. Verse 2. I have great heaviness and continual sorrow of heart. The word heaviness is the word meaning grief. And since it's followed by the word great, which is the word megas, which we get our English word mega, then this grief, this sorrow, shows great intensity. It brings out Paul's distress. It's one of great grief, intense grief, great sorrow. In fact, it's the same grief, the same pain, that is used to describe a woman's labour in pain, as used in Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 16. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children it's a word that also describes one who mourns over one due to death and so to this there's a, a heaviness it's a strong word Paul says in these verses I have great heaviness and continual sorrow of heart the word sorrow is the word meaning pain, distress of mind, implying a sense of loss. We may even use the expression, Paul is burdened down. It weighs upon his mind. It's pressing upon his heart. He's distressed because his own kinsmen have rejected Christ as Saviour. They've been blessed with so many privileges. 
The greatest privilege Christ came through, the seed of Abraham, born in Bethlehem. Yet he came on to his own, and his own received him not. Paul, who once persecuted the faith, now preaches the faith. And he has expounded from chapters 1 through 8 in this letter of Romans a perfect justification by faith alone in the merits and righteousness of Christ alone without the works or efforts of men. But in unbelief, his own kinsmen, according to the flesh, keep going about to establish their own righteousness. They trusted in national pride and their religious routines. And therefore we can see why Paul said, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow of heart. My heart is breaking for my own kinsmen. I am in deep distress. I am in agony. I am in sorrow. It's breaking my heart. It plays on my mind. It burdens me down. Because they seek their own righteousness. And they remain lost in sin. Likewise to make the application to our own hearts. The very fact if we have loved ones who are not saved. People in this country who is not saved. Jew in this country who is not saved. Gentile in this country who is not saved. It ought to cause us heaviness and continual sorrow in heart. Because the soul that sinneth it shall die. And when sinners die. They they enter into eternal hell to be tormented. To wait final judgment where they'll be sentenced with the devil in the lake of fire. And such should cause us great heaviness and continual sorrow of heart. Paul had a sorrow over his own kinsmen. It weighed upon his mind. Do you have a loved one tonight not saved? A neighbour, a friend? Someone in your congregation. Does it cause you great heaviness. Continual sorrow of heart to know. That if they die in their sin. They will perish. Paul had great heaviness. And sorrow of heart. But notice also. The effect of Paul's distress. Verse 2 the word have. Is in the continual tense. And so it means when Paul said. I have great heaviness and continual sorrow of heart it means my heaviness is continual my distress is continual my burden is continual it's not just a one day thing it's not just oh I'm pity my own kinsmen and then the next day move on rather every day Paul was burdened heavy sorrow and agony over the state of his own Countrymen. It is not a something that just went, came and went. It stayed with him. This continual heaviness, this continual sorrow of heart. Because notice the extent of Paul's distress. These words are solemn. They challenge our own lives and they search our own hearts. Paul didn't conclude due to their rejection of Christ. That they deserve what they get. He didn't take the line of thought. You know what? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Against all ungodliness. And all unrighteousness. Therefore you've rejected Christ. Serves you right. You'll get what you deserve. No. Rather he had this depth. 
this distress, this agony that they were lost in sin. And he speaks as a man with a burden over sinners, over his own countrymen. Because notice he says these words in verse 3. For I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And that phrase, I could wish, really is one of those phrases that, that means an impossibility. It's a desire or a thought that cannot be filled, but fulfilled. And it's clear, obviously, to see why. It's a situation that can never take place. Because Paul's position in Christ can never be reversed. That is, I wish myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. But what it does show you, here's a man that was so burdened. A man that had the mind of Christ. A man who lived close to his saviour. That he was so burdened that his own countrymen, his own kinsmen were lost in sin. That he says, I wish myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen. The word for, as you have before you, means in the place of. And so Paul is saying, if it were possible, if I wish myself to take the place of condemnation instead of my kinsmen in their place that they could be saved I would if I could take their place if I could be condemned from them for them to live I would because I am saved and I know what's heading for them lost in sin this is Paul's deep um Heaviness of heart. And as I said, the words spoken by a man who is in touch with God, a man who desires to see his own countrymen saved. Here's the, the depth, the extent of this sorrow. His kinsmen were on his mind. They've rejected the very Christ who saves from all sin. But Paul knows he can't take their place, he knows he can never be accursed. But he's so burdened for them that he says, I wish I could take their place. If I could take their place, I would, but I can't. The same words were uttered by Moses. You will know in Exodus chapter 32, whenever the children of Israel had worshipped the golden calf in the place of God, an idol invented by man. Remember they made this idol they began to worship it and they claimed that this golden calf, this idol, brought them out of Egypt. And in Exodus chapter 32, verse 31 to 33, Moses returned on to the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, and here it is, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me. So he's saying, blot me, blot me out, erase me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. Really, he's taking the same line of thought, or 
uh, same words really as Paul is using, or Paul is using the same as Moses here. Take my place. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. And so it's the same language. Paul wishes he could do for his kinsmen what Christ did for sinners he came to save. And that was take their place. Take their punishment. Take their condemnation. That they would be free. However Paul's desire could never be answered. Because only Christ is the sinner's substitute. Only Christ took the sinner's place to set sinful men free. And so as we said by Paul's words are certainly earnest words. They're words of a man whose heart is breaking. Yet they're words that could never be fulfilled. Because only Christ is the one who is the sinner's substitute. But here's what we ought to strive for. A burden, a real passion for souls. Have you ever got to that place? I know I've read preachers on this. I've listened to other men and they've made the point. When it comes to these verses, some find it actually hard to preach. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 down to verse 4. Because they feel it's everything they're not. They don't feel Paul's burden in that sense. They could never say those words in verse 3. For their loved one who's perishing. I wish myself accursed for them. And they've never brought it to that point. But the one who can. There's one who lives close to the Lord. There's one who's in touch with God. There's one who knows what they've been saved from. And they know what awaits ungodly and unrighteous sinners. Charles Spurgeon was one of those men who lived close to the Lord. And he said this, I have sometimes felt willing to go to the gates of hell to save a soul. But the Redeemer went further. He suffered the wrath of God for souls. What would be the result if we felt as Paul did? Likeness to Christ. After that manner he loved. He did become a curse for us. Galatians 3 verse 13. He did enter in to the awful shadow of Jehovah's wrath for us. He did what Paul could wish. And therefore Paul's heart here is his distress for his countrymen, his distress for his kinsmen, his distress for the salvation of sinners. His heart is heavy. There's continual sorrow for them because they seek their own righteousness. Paul's preached to them. And you read through Acts, you read the occasions when Paul preached to them and how they chased him and stoned him and persecuted him and therefore men and women as you reach souls for the gospel and they say all manner of evil against you maybe some push you maybe some uh, throw stuff in your face I don't know it's because you preach the gospel and because you have a burden for their soul here was Paul's distress are you distressed over your loved one, your daughter, your son, your granddaughter? Because I don't know if you realise they're this or not. If they die, they perish. 
That's the end result. And for my loved ones as well. And therefore this ought to be a distress to our souls. It ought to be a heartbreak, a burden, a great heaviness, an agony, a sorrow. Tears from our eyes. If my mum, if my dad, if my brother, if my sister, my son, my daughter, whoever you want to mention, die without Christ. And they trust in their religion. And they trust in their ways. And yes they have a seal after God. But it's not according to knowledge. And they may try to do all these wonderful works. And claim national pride and all these different things. But before God. If they don't come to him in Christ they'll perish. That ought to cause us distress. It did for Paul. His distress. But notice then secondly. Paul's desire for the salvation of sinners. Chapter 10 verse 1. Brethren. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel. Is that they might be saved. The word desire. Is the word meaning pleasure. Goodwill. My pleasure. I will that they be saved. And the word prayer. Is the word meaning to supplicate. It's the word meaning to intercede. And therefore Paul was direct in prayer to God for Israel. He didn't beat about the bush. I want to see them saved. That word saved means deliverance or to be delivered. A true desire for souls. Paul's desire, his burden for his own countrymen, for Israel, led him to prayer. And that's the point when you have a burden for souls, it will lead you to action. It will lead you to prayer because that's what happened to Paul. He had this sorrow of heart, this agony, this ache. It pressed upon his heart the burden of his own countrymen. They're lost. They're religious but lost. And it drove him to prayer. My heart's Prayer, desire for Israel is that they might be saved. And so his burden led him to prayer. And I trust that you will have a burden for prayer for your lost ones. It's amazing to see in chapter 9, Paul deals with sovereign election. Now, election is not the, the main theme, but God's sovereign right and authority over his creation is he is the potter and his creation are the clay but God's sovereign dealings over his creation is dealt by the subject of election that God has sovereign right and power to do according to his own pleasure over and with his own creation God has chosen to save sinners there's a remnant according to the election of grace. And therefore we read these words. Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. That's verse 13. And while people like to focus on the hating of Esau. Uh, when really they should be taken back by the very fact that God loved Jacob. Because no man deserves the love of God. Not one of us here deserve to be saved. Not one of us deserve the mercy and grace of God. We can understand God not choosing sinners. But the very fact that he chooses to save anyone 
it blows our mind. Because not one of us deserve the mercy of God. And yet it's his own sovereign right to save whomsoever he will. And therefore Paul can desire and pray for his own kinsmen. Because God will save his people from their sin. God has that remnant according to grace. And therefore Paul can take this great theme of election. And he can pray for his countrymen. He can desire their salvation. Because election and God's sovereignty is never to hinder our desire or our praying for souls. God's sovereign choice in election is never to stop believers praying for sinners to be saved. It didn't do it with Paul and it didn't do it for the Saviour. And therefore it should not do it for you. Therefore I say unto you, whatever your view of election may be, but if your view of election has stolen your desire to see souls saved, and it stopped you praying for souls to be saved, then you don't understand election, and you do not have the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. You misunderstand and you misapply election. Election is not a battleground. Rather it is a blessing. God elects. God chooses sinners for his own glory. He is the potter. We are the clay. Do You may say well if God elects sinners to be saved. Why does Paul need to pray? Why do I need to pray for sinners to be saved? Why is Paul's heart desire for Israel to be saved? If God is a God who elects sinners to be saved. Why should I pray for them? Why should I witness to them? Why should I plead for them? Why should I desire for them? Why should I just sit back and let God be God and that's it? Well because God has told us to pray for them. God has told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to the Jew first and to the Greek. God is pleased to use the prayers of his own people to exalt his name in the saving of souls. And if God had no purpose for you, then he would have called you home by now. And therefore, God has a responsibility. And God's responsibility is to choose, to call and to save sinners. That's his sovereign right. Our responsibility is to faithfully preach the gospel to every creature. And to pray for souls as the word is preached. That the spirit of God will come and apply that word to their heart. And therefore Paul can come and say. While he's in heaviness of heart. While he's in sorrow of heart. While he's broken hearted for his own countrymen. His kinsmen who he's pleaded with. Sermon after sermon in the street everywhere. And they've rejected him. They've thrown him in the prison. They've stoned him. They've chased him. They've done anything, everything to him. Many things to him. Yet because God is a God of sovereign election. He can come and say my heart's desire for Israel is that they might be saved. And he can pray that for them. He can intercede for them. He can get before the throne of grace. 
And therefore election, the very fact that God has chosen to save his people. Paul can pray for his countrymen. He can pray for Israel to be saved. Because he trusts in the Lord that he will save his people from their sin. You can pray for souls. You can witness the souls. You can go into all the world and preach the gospel. Because God's sovereign election is your right, your basis to go and tell souls the gospel. So I don't know if you are dampened or not. I don't know what your view is on these things. But I trust uh, you will see the biblical account of election. And see it's there as an encouragement that you can go into all the world. Paul can preach and pray for souls to be saved. Because God has a people whom he will save. That's the success of the cross. That shows us the cross work of Christ is not a failure. That he will save the the, the travail of a soul and be satisfied. None will perish for whom Christ has died. There will not be one soul in hell for whom Christ has shed his blood for. And that thrills our heart. That ought to encourage us to go. And while we don't know who are the elect, we don't know who, who God has chosen to save. As in individually, we can't go out the street and say, any, many, many, mo, you're the one I know. We can't go on, as Spurgeon said one day, put a big X on people and say, you're the elect and you're not. But what we can do is say, out those doors and in that street, there's sinners who need the gospel. And as we preach the gospel, as we pray for sinners to receive the word, God will save his people from their sin. And therefore Paul, as he comes and he burdened for his own countrymen, Israel, Jews, according to the flesh, he can pray for them. And he can desire their salvation because God has not finished with the Jew. And that's when Paul goes into chapter 11 and again expounds about the restoration, all these other uh, great themes that Paul deals with. And therefore, are you praying for souls? Have you given up praying for souls? Have you stopped desiring for souls to be saved? I say get back into the prayer closet. Get back praying for your church. Get back praying for people in your church, in your area. Praying for souls to be saved. Because it never stopped Paul praying. Thirdly and finally, Paul's directness. For the salvation of sinners. Chapter 10 verse 1. Brethren. My heart's desire. And prayer. To God for Israel. Is that they might be saved. And we said that word saved. Means to be delivered. It's interesting to show. That Paul directs. All focus of salvation. To God. Not to religion. He directs any thought of being saved to God. You see, the unbelieving Jews, his kinsmen, according to the flesh, were in bonds to religion. They claimed to have acceptance with God by the works of the law. And so Paul directs his kinsmen to Christ, who saves from the penalty and the punishment of sin. Only Christ saves from wrath to come. It's Christ that sets sinners free from spiritual bondage. Because God in Christ has provided a perfect righteousness. And accepts sinners and justifies the ungodly through Christ. 
Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. And he died a sacrificial death. He lived a life of perfection. To obey every command of God. And then by his life, his sinless life, by his death, he paid the penalty of the law. And therefore he's done all that was required for the saving of souls. So Paul's point is this. Religion will not save you. Working up a righteousness will not save you. Connection to Abraham will not save you. Trying to claim merit before God will not save you. Verse 4 of chapter 10. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. That word end means satisfaction. And the word for, or the phrase for righteousness, means in order to provide righteousness. And so Paul is saying, Christ is the satisfaction of the law to provide righteousness. He satisfied divine justice. He honoured God's law. And because he's done that, he has provided a righteousness that you need in order to be clothed, accepted with God. And so Paul directs his own kinsmen to the Saviour. He directs them to the Lord. Throughout this whole passage, he points them the way to the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knows that those who will be saved will be saved with an everlasting salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. And so here is Paul's uh, his distress. He's burdened over them. His desire is to see them saved. And he directs them to none other than the Saviour. And I trust we'll take that motto and that lessons to our own life that we'll be burdened for our loved ones burdened for our family burdened for our congregations burdened for the, the church area that we live and we'll desire to see souls saved and we'll pray for their salvation and as we do and speak to them direct them to the saviour the Lord Jesus Christ not to self, not to the church not to another religion, not to a better way rather to the saviour who is the very gospel, who is the very um, power of the gospel, for his name's sake. Amen. Just pray, then I'll hand it back over to.